For many years, Geico um, has had wonderful advertising campaigns. They just do a great job in all of their advertising, but um, they specifically try hard at Halloween. They always try to come up with something very special for Halloween every year. And a couple of years ago, they came up with a commercial which is one of my all-time favorite commercials. And so I wanted to share it with you now. Let's hide in the attic. No, in the basement. Why can't we just get in the running car? Are you crazy? Let's hide behind the chainsaws. If you're in a horror movie, you make poor decisions. That's what you do. I'm being quiet. Breathing on me. If you want to save 15% or more on car insurance, you switch to Geico. It's what you do. Now that's awesome, right? Um, I, germane for us today is that tagline. When you're in a horror movie, you make poor decisions. You make bad decisions. It's what you do. Now, I've heard 2020 is referred to as horrific. 2020 was like the horror film of years. And perhaps when you're in 2020, you make bad decisions. It's what you do. And I wonder what bad decisions perhaps we have made in 2020. Do you have any regrets from 2020? Well, maybe you have the regret of sitting around too much and not moving your body, whether it's at a home office or it's um, in front of the TV, uh, binge watching something. Perhaps while you're doing that, your um, menu choices haven't been great, right? Maybe we have the regret that has led to the phenomenon of the quarantine 15, which is a thing, right? Maybe we have the regret, um, the bad decision of uh, perhaps uh, in our frustrations over the year, taking those things out on somebody, family member or a friend, somebody that we really care about. Perhaps there's a political post that was just plain mean-spirited that you think better of now. Maybe you've fallen into the lure of our society because our society is luring us into this mindset of, you know, there are certain things where if you don't agree with me on certain things, I'm writing you off. The whole um, media outlets that perpetuate this kind of thinking, they're not there with you when you're lonely. But we make these decisions that I think we regret because we find ourselves being very much alone. Perhaps 2021 is that time to resolve, to have a New Year's resolution, to actually resolve to do something that would um, create better choices, fewer regrets, choices that would, oh, maybe call us to do what Jesus asks us to do, which would be to be kind and compassionate, uh, loving in a greater way. Hmm. Well, this is what New Year's resolutions are all about, and we have to resolve to do these things because flipping the calendar isn't going to do it, right? In essence, one day is just different than the, next, than the previous day. There's no magic in the next day or the next year. We have to resolve. We have to decide. We have to choose better if we don't want to have those regrets. 
Well, again, this is the perfect worship series, and this is a great book for you to participate in. I can't encourage you strongly enough to download or purchase or get mailed to you, or if you want to drop by the office, we've got a few here that we're selling at cost, to read with us. I would like our whole congregation to read this book, Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets. It is a practical guide for helping us navigate. Well, let, let's get to the backstory here, because there is a backstory to this book. Um, the book was not written by Charles Stanley, although he's kind of the roots of it. Charles Stanley is what would be considered, at 88 years young, he would be considered a great American pastor. And back in the days when great pastors were widely identified and revered in the United States, he's one of them. He was the head of one of the Baptist denominations, and um, Charles Stanley was pastor, senior pastor of First Baptist in Atlanta, Georgia for 51 years. Wrap your brain around that, folks. He was senior pastor of a church for 51 years. He didn't write the book, but his son did, Andy. And Andy is a successful pastor in his own right. He founded uh, North Point Community Church, which is not just a megachurch, but it's a network of large churches, and he has written some 20 books he wrote this book last year, and it came out this year in the middle of the pandemic. And Andy writes in a very no-nonsense, very practical way that's really easy to read and just a joy. Now, um, he starts the book by talking about his father's annoying habit. His father had this annoying habit where when Andy wanted some advice from his dad, his dad would never give him advice. He would just answer Andy's questions with another question. That annoyed Andy. But in retrospect, Andy will admit that it helped him to become a more critical thinker. It taught him to think well. Now, if you're a parent out there looking for a New Year's resolution, that might be one for you. Instead of telling your children what they should or should not do, ask them questions to develop their ability to think well, right? So Andy was able to come up with, kind of cull his father's questioning down into five critical questions that he has learned now to ask of himself and he wants to encourage all of us to learn. So let's take a look at these questions, right? They are the integrity question, namely, am I being honest with myself? Really being honest with myself. Really, really being honest with myself. And there's a process to go through for that. The legacy question. What story do I want to tell? At the end of my life, what do I want to say I was? Right? So the legacy question. Then there's the conscience question. Is there a tension that deserves my attention? We tell people, you know, trust your gut. Right? Is there, is there something right here? Go with that. Ask that question. There's the maturity question, which is probably the best question of all. Right? What is the wise thing to do? Really, what's the wise thing to do? And then, of course, there's the relationship question, which is a great Christian question. What does love require of me? Right? If we ask these questions of ourselves, we will make better decisions and we will have fewer regrets in life. Now, Stanley makes it clear at the beginning of the book that you can know all of the questions to ask, but if you don't ask them, it's of no good to you that there is indeed no necessary correlation between knowing and doing. You have to 
stop and pause and ask the questions. You have to do it. Now, um, we do ask ourselves questions whenever we make big decisions. We just don't think we do. But we do. Either consciously or subconsciously, we ask ourselves these questions. And we usually ask questions like, will it make me happy? Will I enjoy it? We ask ourselves, will this hurt me? Should I be afraid of it? We ask ourselves the question if we, especially when we know we shouldn't do something, we ask ourselves the question, will I get caught? Will anybody find out? Now we may or may not be served by that set of questions, the questions that we usually ask ourselves, but I can tell you, you will be well served by Andy Stanley's set of questions, why? Because they're biblical and they're rooted in faith. Well, I wanna start at the start. Part of why I'm so excited about this series is it's the perfect series for post-Christmas. We need to start at the start. Now, the start is that when God made the decision to come to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, that babe born in Bethlehem, he chose, he made the decision for us. He chose to love us. We get so rankled in the Christian faith about our choosing and our deciding and our faith and all that kind of stuff. It is not about that first. What it is first about is that God chooses to love us. God makes it clear. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And God chose, chooses to love us. Now, you might be like, well, that's obvious and remedial. Is it really? Don't we have a hard time with this? Especially when it feels like life is piling on. Isn't this again a 2020 thing? I mean, think about it. What's the first thing that we do when life starts getting hard? We kind of go, why? The second thing we do is usually absolve ourselves of any responsibility in it. The third thing we do is if life continues to um, dump on us and we feel like life is piling on, we look heavenward and say, why? Why are you doing this to me? We don't start at a place where life is really hard, God, and I know you're here, and I trust that you're with me, and I trust that you will the best for me. That isn't where we start. We start with, why are you doing this to me? I was channel surfing um, last week, and <laughs> I came across the great old movie Bruce Almighty. And uh, it's a wonderful movie. Uh, if you, it's old now, um, but if you, if you haven't seen it, you should. And if you haven't seen it recently, you should watch it again. Because while it's silly and, and goofy and stuff, it is filled with a lot of great theology. And Jim Carrey plays this guy, Bruce. And at the beginning of the movie, he perfectly demonstrates who we are. Um, all these bad things happen to him, and he gets really angry, and he's angry with God. And he says, and I love this phrase, he says, God's the mean kid sitting on the ant hill with a magnifying glass, and I'm the ant. Sounds like 2020, right? And then Morgan Freeman, who plays God, holds him accountable to those kinds of statements, right? In the text that we have from Romans... We hear that this is not how it is. We hear that our world is filled with pain and suffering, not always, but regularly. Matter of fact, it hurts us deeply that the whole creation groans. And what we hear Paul describing 
as we hear um, how God stays with us and holds with us and holds true to us, that God's love is still there and God presents a hope, not just a hope um, in this world, but a hope in the next. So if we faithfully endure, that we have the hope of an eternal life that will um, be so much better than that. All the trouble will eventually yield. But even more than that, that even out of the hardest things, the Roman text assures us that even about in the hardest things, that we can find good things on the other side of the hardest things. Matter of fact, we can even find some of the best things on the other side of the hardest things. That's why he uses the example of childbirth. Because after the horror of delivery, you get the baby, which is a really good thing. And then in Proverbs, we heard that we're not to lean on our own understanding of these things. We have to look with God's vision into the world. That if we discern, if we're faithful, if we continue to remain hope-filled, finding God's love in this, we will indeed find the best things that the world has to offer. It just takes patience and discerning. We're back to our New Year's resolutions. Patience. How'd that work for you in 2020? Maybe it's a New Year's resolution for 2021. The great religious author, one of the great religious writers um, in the history of our great nation is C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis has a wonderful quote that we oftentimes hear that is so helpful in these situations. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Now let's be careful. It doesn't say that God wants us to suffer or creates the pain and suffering, but in the midst of that pain and suffering, that is a way in which we can have our attention drawn to God in positive ways, not necessarily in the negative. This can be so hard for us to accept. I understand and realize that. But as your pastor, I can tell you that so often people have talked to me about the large spectrum of their life And deep people of faith almost always say the same thing. That I learned far more out of the hardship and suffering in my life than I ever did out of times when life was placid. Right? So maybe 2020 has something to teach us after all. I'll leave you with a story of Madeline from Madeline Lengel. Madeline is, um, again, a great American author. It's interesting. She didn't receive many accolades early in her life when she did most of her writings. As a matter of fact, she struggled to eke out an existence with her and her husband. But it was at the end of her life that she received a fair amount of acclaim and even more acclaim after her death. Madeline Lengel wrote a uh, wonderful book called A Wrinkle in Time, which was her um, crowning achievement. And she was a cradle Episcopalian. She was raised in the faith. She not only always sought to put her Christian faith in her writings, 
but she always was a member of a Episcopalian congregation and always served in the local parish and worshiped there because that was her commitment to the local church. Well, she tells this incredible fable from years ago about this rabbi. And this rabbi is, was one of those guys back in, you know, 100 years ago, there were um, just educated people in certain towns. And when there wasn't a, a law system, you know, the, 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 the rabbi was the arbiter. People came to him and had disputes settled. He was a teacher. He had a lot of wisdom. People would come if they were struggling and would learn from him. And he would, every now and again, have um, somebody who would just kind of be a devotee or a disciple of his. And there was one young man who over the course of his childhood really took an interest in this rabbi who, by and large, spent most of his time studying, surrounded by books and writing. He was kind of a recluse, if you will, and this young man just came in and kind of learned at his feet. That happened for years, and the young man had such an affection for this rabbi. Well, he grew up into adulthood and, and kind of went away. And when he came back, he entered the room of the, the home of the rabbi and he walked in and the rabbi was immersed in his papers and studying, just really digging in at it. And, and the young man just blurted, Rabbi, I love you. Well, he was taken aback by his own expression. He was embarrassed. Those kinds of words were not said back in those days very often. And so he was trying to compose himself, right? And the rabbi paused, looked up from his books, and he looked and he said, son, you know what really hurts me? Well, the young man was, again, trying to compose himself, and, and, and he, he said, rabbi, I do not understand. Why do you confuse me with such an irrelevant question? I'm just trying to tell you of my affection for you. And the rabbi without hesitation said, Son, my question was neither confusing nor irrelevant. If you don't know what really hurts me, how can you really love me? My hope and prayer in this new year for us all is that we can ask better questions of ourselves, of one another and that we can ask those questions resolve to ask those questions that help us to become more compassionate more caring and more loving as God would have us Happy New Year